On this special episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to Bill Hubauer of We Came From Space. Lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we have the opportunity to speak with Bill Hubauer of We Came From Space. Hey guys. Yeah. Bill, thanks so much for joining. This is uh this is really exciting. We have actually not done a special interview series in in what seems like a long time, at least since the uh, the world ended. So it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very good to have you here. Um, this was something that that Paul had had come across some of your music and shared it with the group, and we've been enjoying it uh, ever since he did. So uh, I'd like to give just a brief sort of uh, bio, if you will, and we can use that as a as a jumping off point. So mm-hmm. tonight, um, as mentioned, we have Bill Hubauer. He hails from Western Pennsylvania, uh, the actually birthplace of one Paul Sauter. That is correct. Awesome. He wow. has been a multi-instrumentalist since a very young age, studied at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, where fellow palaver mate Tom Corcoran also studied. Um, for over 25 years, he has played in a variety of musical acts, including... Um, the Christian parody band Apologetics. Since 2012, he has been keyboardist with the Neil Morse Band and doing all of this while holding a, quote, day job. And he is also the co-founder of the, quote, progressive, punky, poppy rock band We Came From Space, who very recently unveiled their third release, the EP Reasons in the Rhyme. So, Bill, officially, thank you for joining us on the Palaver here this evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, Thanks. this is this is cool. So, like I said, Paul uh, Paul came across We Came From Space and started just, you know, gushing about it, um, shared it with the rest of us, and we have you on the show. So, that's spectacular. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you found it. So, I hate to jump in, but we, we were already chatting. So, yep, I want to go back to... Uh, so we we covered the day job part and the uh, the beauty of being able to do uh, whatever you want. But I would like to know, Bill, the what was like the worst? What was that moment where you're like, man, I would much rather be programming in, in iOS than standing up here playing this? Uh, well, um, the uh, well, you know, probably any number of of wedding bands that I played in when I was in my in my twenties. I would probably it would hard to be it would hard be hard to choose which one of those, but but I was you know the point was that you can well it's harder now but when I was younger you could make a you know a full time living in music if you weren't too terribly picky about what music you played and uh, and so when I realized that that well if I can't you know the things that I like about music I'm not able to to do enough of that so I'd rather just do something else that I like. And still, and then just do the kind of music that I like, even if it's to a lesser uh, you know, quantity. Mm, but uh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've been in the wedding band circuit myself. There, there are some. <laughs> yeah, I, I have some great moments. I, yeah, I have some great memories and some great stories. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> but you know, it's um, when it just becomes a gig. When when somebody calls you for a gig and you're and if you feel like, eh, I could take it or leave it, then you know that that's you know that's probably not what you should be doing. Yeah, and not not to uh, not to be you know you know, a downer, but what, uh, like, what would you normally be doing right now? Like I, for some reason, I thought you were supposed to be touring at least through February and March, maybe even further. What, what was your schedule supposed to be right now? No, actually where we were right getting ready to start, uh, a new album cycle with the Neil Morse band, which, which, uh, would be where most people who might know me would know me from, uh, the, uh, we were just, and actually, on my calendar for this week, I should be in Nashville writing with hmm. the, the band. Oh, okay, uh, but we're not. So, and uh, that probably probably would have been uh, uh, an early 2021 release, just after the first of the year, and we probably would have toured in the in the spring. We tend to run like on a, about an 18 month cycle, mostly because um, Neil and, and uh, Mike Portnoy they're busy in other bands and. That's just sort of the, the schedule that we've kind of fallen into. Yeah. And I, ha- I have to ask, how does it work with the day job? Because um, it's not a, you, you're not a weekend warrior, really. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So actually how it works is, is work is the key, is <laughs> the key word. I, uh, when we're on tour, and, and we tend to tour for about three months, um, when we do tour and, uh, I'm working, I work on the road. Really? Uh, I work it on the tour bus. I, I can't typically get a full day in, but, but I usually get, you know, a good solid six hours, uh, of work in every day. And I get up, I try not to stay up too late and I get up at a reasonable time and I just start working. Awesome. Yeah. Are you like answering emails just as you're walking yep. on stage on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have walked off of stage. And, and jumped on to like meetings and because <laughs> <laughs> if we're in, if we're in Europe, if we're in Europe and you know we're you know, six or seven hours ahead, yeah, uh, over there and then you know it's still the work day, you know back here and and yeah. so sometimes I'll jump into a meeting. It's funny. That's a, that's an <laughs> amazing it, balance. But it's it, it's the only way I can do it because I don't you know I can't. I've chosen, I won't say I can't, I've chosen to not a, attempt uh, full-time music as, a, as my primary income. And so I'm very, very fortunate that I do software development and I already, you know, I work from, I work remotely as it is. I work, work for Adobe and they don't have any offices near where I live. So I work, I work from home and I can work anywhere, you know, as long yeah. as I have internet connection. So. Yeah. So you, and that's something that we've all learned recently that we can all work anywhere. Definitely. Oh, that's amazing. So, so I just want to say right off the bat that, uh, we came from space, right. It, it is, is the second track on, on while you were away, your 2018 release mm-hmm. and, and the opening riff is in three, if I'm not mistaken, one ia and one ia and one ia and bop 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 something like that. Um, but but is it in fact you guys are, are counting that one in three? I would say it's in seven because the whole riff is you know as that you know the three da 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 da
So I, I would fill that in seven. Oh, okay. Immediately, it put you guys at some kind of epic status, or at least, you know, <laughs> candidates for epic, epic status. One of the things that I learned, and I guess it makes sense if you, if you think about it, but I never really thought about it. I learned this from Mike, um, that really it's just, everything's just subdivided. Once you get above, once you get above really anything above 4-4, four, four, or really about 5-4, you just, you're just you're just subdividing. It's like groups of three and four, groups of nines, four and five. You know, thirteen is you know six and seven. It it's all that's how he thinks about it. And it's like oh, you know, it makes sense. So you can you can subdivide it down to something manageable. You know, mm-hmm. but, totally. Uh, little trivia about that song uh, is uh, for the for the massive number of people listening who know that song. Is I actually wrote that riff on a ukulele. My <laughs> my, my uh, uh, one of my kids has uh, has like I don't know three or four ukes, and they're always laying all over the house. So no matter where you're at, you can just pick one up and just start messing around. So I was just sitting somewhere, and I picked one up, and out came that riff. So. <laughs> and and I'm just dying to ask about the band in, in total. I'm hearing three or four vocalist doing lead lines so so how many singers do you have three yeah okay yeah yeah that's that's cool Every, everybody's popping in at different points mm-hmm. and, and and you're all co-writing are you sharing all the credits we do um it's like a lot of bands where somebody will come in music on the musical side somebody will come in with uh some part you know a riff or or something and um occasionally you might have most of a song, but usually it's like, Hey, I got this cool verse or a chorus idea or a riff or, and you just start jamming on it and people contribute ideas and, and it just forms, you know, that way, uh, lyrically, typically one person tends to write the lyric for a song and where, you know, someone might suggest tweaks or changes, but mostly that's a, a single person. The two bands that I primarily write with are, you know, Neil Morse Band and We Came From Space. And, and, and they're very similar in how they work. <clears throat> Probably in Neil Morse Band, people tend to, you start, in We Came From Space, where we might start with more of a part, um, what happens in Neil Morse Band is you tend to come in with more of a full song written, mm-hmm. and then and then everybody just tears it apart. You know, <laughs> so so you come in. Typically, we'll send demos around before we convene, and and what happens is you, is you get there and someone says, you know, hey, I really love the the verse on this song or this instrumental section. Can we marry it up to this other part? And you just sort of start to. It's like Frankenstein. You just mm-hmm. start putting putting stuff together. Uh, sometimes, sometimes this this pros are cons. Sometimes stuff come. If you're not careful, sometimes things can come out kind of forced, like you're trying to make things work together that shouldn't be together. But but usually, even even if we will start out that way, usually by the time we get to actually tracking, we've sorted it out. Usually, somebody will throw a flag on the field or you know say, okay, this isn't this isn't working. We need to to fix this. Um, but yeah, it's it's more just you know. That's and that's the beauty of uh, of the band. I mean, if uh, if I didn't want someone to tear my stuff apart and rework it, I could just record it at home by myself. You know. Well, here on the Palaver, we talk about the 
the, the forces that do the editing, like Yes had Eddie offered and right. Def Leppard had Mutt Lang to chop up the different parts and glue them all back together. <laughs> so so do you have a butcher in the group among you in the Neil, <laughs> Neil Morse band? Who is the most inclined to do the chopping? Well, the on there's two there's two phases of that. Uh, on the front half, it tends to be Mike who would um, we, we, we call him the gleaner. He'll go through and glean all the parts that that he he likes and or he thinks it would work together, and and so he'll he'll really passionately campaign for for it, it's fairly democratic, but it's uh you know he'll he'll camp, campaign hard for certain things even if and if and if you're not sure you just kind of go with it. You trust his instinct, and more often than not, he's right. And and then. And then later, later in the process, then Neil is the is the harsh editor, mm. and and he'll he'll come in and, and start cutting things or inserting things or changing, uh, and again you, you just have to trust. It's just all trust each other, you know. A lot of times we disagree, uh, but in the end, I think I don't think we've done three albums together, and in the end. Uh, I don't think anybody would change anything significantly about any of them if they could. I think we've all been pretty happy with them. disagreements on the on the level of, say, Roger Waters and David <laughs> Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had we had one of those, and and I won't I won't go into details, but it's it's it was well documented that on uh, the Neil Morse band, uh, the Similitude of a Dream album, uh, that um, Mike and Neil really butted heads and. It got really pretty tense, and to the point where we all thought we were going to go home and not finish the album. Oh, wow! And and wow. and yeah, and 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 it. But of course, the the irony was that prior to convening to write, I was talking to Neil about, uh, you know, all these great albums that classic albums that we really love, with with bands where members fought all the time and couldn't agree. But somehow they were able to produce these really great albums, and I and I said to him, I guess I guess I'm never going to be a part of a really great album because I don't have the tolerance to like have those kind of relationships, like you know. <laughs> and then and then we had and then we had this situation, and uh, it was it was pretty grim, and but it you know it, it we we sorted it out, and I think I think the album, I think everybody in the band thinks the album was better as a result of the tension, even though we would not choose, we wouldn't choose that, but uh, we all think it, it, it really helped the quality of the, of the music for sure. That is to say that Neil and Mike are, are, are doing well and patched. Everything. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course they have, they've done flying colors and transatlantic. Sure. Yeah. Then yeah. as well too. So yeah, no, they, they're, they're good. <laughs> Uh, we we were late bloomers to Spock's beard and and this kind of neo prog movement, and we're not embarrassed to admit we we play catch up quite frequently, um, so it it's worth a mention of the all the names in the Neil Morse band. So you're working with Neil Morse, obviously, uh, Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater fame, Randy George. So he's your bass player. Yeah, Randy and I, Randy and I met in the late nineties through, uh, a collective of Christian progressive rock bands, uh, went under the moniker CPR. So we, we, uh, he had a band called Avalon 
and I had a band called 10.10 and, and we were doing, you know, uh, progressive rock with, uh, Christian based lyrics. Um, uh, and that's how, that's how we met. Um, but, but that's Avalon would have been his other band before Neil Morse band. Good connection there. Okay. And that gives you all the way back to the nineties. Yep. Okay. You are on organ, piano, synthesizer, vocals, and rounding it out with guitar, Eric Gillette, who is pretty much a machine. Yeah. yeah. Does he does he come with SD cards? Like, what power is that dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're it, we're always just shaking our head, and, and and every every time we convene to do an album, because he's twenty years younger than pretty much the rest of the band, so we every time we convene to do another album, we're always like, wow, he showed up again. Can't believe it. you know because he's like to us he's the epitome of cool you know he's young and good looking guy and incredibly talented and can sing like a bird and play anything he's just as good on keyboard and drums as he is on guitar and and uh he's just a he's a a powerhouse i mean he's got a a good throat like a little bit of a gilmore david gilmore kind of thing and he it seems like he has a really good vocal range how 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 does it work with I mean, Neil Morse has a lot of power. Um, even even Mike gets uh, a vocal mic, mm-hmm. right? So how do you guys yeah. divide up? Is it based on who writes the lines, or you're pretty much into your vocal ranges? Well, we're still, of course, on the first album we did together, The Grand Experiment, we had no idea. We just were, we would just try different. Um, here, you try this, you try this. Like, we all... the we probably all sang all the parts on the album at some point, you know, we just kept swapping them around till we'd learned who would work well in what areas. Um, and, and we've sort of fallen uh, like the last album, the third album, we kind of went into it with a pretty good idea of the default, like, okay, here's, here's where everyone's going to kind of fit in. Um, but, but Neil, you know, Neil is, is, you know, he's the voice of the band and he's, singing the the lion's share for sure and, and but he he has the lowest voice of uh, the three main singers uh, with me me neil and and, and eric but uh, so then once once we get up, up above neil's range and then we start to figure out you know what kind of intensity does it need and and different you know type of song it is would dictate more whether it be eric or myself would sing uh when we do the we, uh, then mike's voice is he's He's like the, like he would sing all the evil parts. <laughs> oh, sure. I don't know how sure. to say, you know. The Roger Waters like, parts. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. That's, that would be his, 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 you know, what he is bringing that kind of intensity to it. Um, when we do the harmonies, the background harmonies and things, uh, you know, I, I somehow got saddled with most of the super, super high parts. I'm like the, if, see, I grew up in, in the era of, of bands in, from the late 70s where, there were always like multiple singers in the band and they would do harmonies and they would, they would always have a certain, certain sound. Like, like I was a big, when I was in high school, I was a big sticks fan and okay, you had those yeah. really cool harmonies. And it was always like the, you know, like the James young, you know, J Y, you know, his voice is kind of yeah weird and, and, but it, he created, he adds this tension to the harmonies and, and the sizzle. And that's like sort of where I found myself, uh, Nice. With, with with the harmonies there, but that's that's all that's all fine and, and dandy in the studio. But then when, 
I got to sing those high parts live every night. <laughs> but, I, but it's, I found it's worked out pretty good. So, well, but, let's give credit where credit is due because a year ago you gave an interview to musicplayers.com, mm-hmm. and that's Scott Kahn. And uh, there's some really great information there about, you know, you playing with Neil and whatnot. And I think, you know, what you say is that you basically learn to divide it up. So you're doing some of those high parts, but you're not doing them all night. Yeah, we, we work really hard when we, when we play live to, to divvy up things. And, and, and we, don't, we don't always sing and play what we played on the album. Um, we have to, there's different considerations. Uh, um, we'll swap vocal parts, not as much as we'll swap instrumental parts. We swap instrumental parts more liberally. Uh, we, the last couple albums have been very thematic and Neil has done costume changes and, and different things where he has to leave the stage and go change his clothes. So, uh, I might be covering some of his parts on keyboards while he's, doing that so we we, we'll shuffle things around that that is pretty awesome and and i hope you're not bored telling this story now but can you retell the story about uh coding to automatically bend a certain note that you press because that's a pretty cool story yeah well so it's you know we we pretty much just record what we think the music needs without too much consideration for how we're going to do it live and so Every time when we tour, I'm always like, how oh, are we going to do this without cheating? And and so far, we've been able to really pretty much do it. And a lot of the things um, uh, come down to, to programming. Like, uh, you know, a typically, typically if you're doing like a lead melody and you have to, you have to do a pitch bend, you have to have two hands, one playing the melody and one on the the joystick or the mod wheel or pitch wheel or whatever doing it. Sure. And, and, but if I'm covering, if I'm playing organ with one hand and synth on the other hand, and I need to do a pitch bend, I'm out of hands. So, uh, um, I use, uh, um, Apple's main stage as my primary, um, audio sound source with all different kinds of, uh, soft, soft synth plugins. And you can script, you can write JavaScript, and write code to do things. So I would have certain notes set up that, that when I hit a particular note, it would, um, do a program, a pitch bend, you know, or something like that. Uh, also even patch changes, like maybe I'll be doing a, a really fast run. When I get to the top, the last note, when I hit the last note of the run, that triggers a patch change. So my sound is different. I'm set up for the next section or just all kinds of little cheats like that, 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 um, make it possible to do things that with, you know, only two hands that you typically would need more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's utilizing the technology to achieve efficiencies that you wouldn't otherwise have. Right. And I figure, I figure because I am a, I'm a software developer, then it's not cheating. I'm just using the skills that I have. Absolutely. Then. You're, you're, <laughs> you're bringing your skill set to the table. It makes perfect yeah. sense to me. Yeah. Why push buttons when you can just, you know, switch it by playing the note that you're already playing. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, the funny thing is to a lot of people, you know, going through and, 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 you know, programming in Java to get a pitch bend or a patch change would scramble some people's brains anyway. So it, it you know, it's 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 a valid skill. 
Yeah. Here's the worst cheat that I ever did. And I'll confess to it. Uh, and, and because sometimes, sometimes when Neil's writing music, like this was for, uh, he did a musical, uh, um, a couple years ago, maybe one or two years, the, uh, Jesus Christ, the exorcist. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and he, he, uh, sometimes would, would sequence these orchestral parts or something, uh, that were, were just inhumanly fast. And, and so it, it takes a lot of work to, to be able to play them. And there was this one that I just, I just couldn't, it was a chromatic, it was just a chromatic run that was just so crazy fast. I just couldn't do it clean. So, uh, I actually programmed the sequence of notes, uh, all triggered to one key. And so I just went, <laughs> you know, I just went like, you know, I, of course people can't see this, but I'm just like with two fingers, just like drumming on this key, you know, you know just, just, but the pitch just ran through. So I'm playing, I'm playing the keyboard, but, but I'm playing the same note and the pitch keeps changing on every, every note that I hit. <laughs> uh, wait, you were, you were covering one of the tracks from Jesus Christ, the exorcist. Yeah. Well, we did the whole musical. We did, uh, um, Neil, Neil has a thing, uh, every, every year we've had for the last like six years or so called Morse Fest. And, uh, it's been, you know, we'll, it's, like, it's a weekend, two nights and we'll do, started out, we'll do like, we did like his first two albums, the first album, his first solo album on one night, second one on the next night. And then every year we've been doing different things. And then they've had like Spock's beard has done a night, um, Flying Colors did did one of the years, and one of the years he did this musical. So that was cool. when we performed that. Yeah, and that so that was just 2019. Uh, we had a progressive palaver end of year episode. To uh, what did we do? We we all elected one album to be, you know, the most influential or the you know most interesting of the year, and I picked. Jesus Christ, the exorcist. And I'm a horrible Christian. The guys here laughed at me because I didn't know the difference between, I didn't know the difference between the Virgin Mary and Mary Magdalene. They had to re-explain it to me because I haven't <laughs> read this in sixth grade. So, but, but, but I, I know good music when I hear it. And, and I, I said, oh my goodness, this is one of the most groundbreaking, intense, well-crafted things that have, has come out of 2019 was Jesus Christ, the exorcist. I mean, I mean, you can, you can pull things out of the recent Prague catalog. Like we love Marillion's fear and we love, you know, many things that have come out of Neo Prague, but, but I, I feel like Jesus Christ, the exorcist just raised the bar. It's, it's, it's a rock opera and it's, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a lot of fun to play. We, I felt bad that we only did it the one show I, I wish we could have toured, done a tour with it, but there was like a million people in the cast, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Just, yeah. not practical. So the people in the video, were they largely available for that performance at Morse Fest? Because the, the actual studio recording was, was, was filmed. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was that, that, so some of those people were who sang, um, like Ted Leonard from uh, uh, Spock's, who took over in Spock's beard, and um, and now has a, a band called uh, Pattern Seeking Animals. Uh, he he played Riff Jesus. Jimmy, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keegan on drums. 
Yep. And uh, so he was Jesus. Um, but we had like a bunch of guests. I mean, I mean, his cast, I mean, there must have been 100 people crammed into that studio when he recorded the main section of it. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Yeah, in, indeed. Yeah, but we're not necessarily here just to talk about yeah, Neil yeah. the whole time. Sure, we, that's, we, that's right. <laughs> so, right. So, Bill, I'm really curious about this. So, I caught, um, I guess you and uh, I hope I say his name right, Dave Bazard. Yep. I yep. caught you guys on the Sonic Perspectives podcast, mm-hmm. and I had to laugh because I had been listening, and and I was and I started to like sort of take notes. Um, you know, kind of getting ready for, for today. And when take you for the ride, this is probably my third or fourth time listening. I, and I'm starting listening and I was, and I was like, wow. And I wrote down, this sounds like a JY song on a sticks record. And, <laughs> and then like the next night I heard your, your, uh, your sonic perspectives interview. And you, I, you guys were talking about how you guys were arguing about who, who would be JY in the band or, uh-huh. or whatever. And I, and I found that to be, um, I just, it just tickled me. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I think, you know, what I took from that message is that you and Dave go way back. Um, are every, is everybody in, we came from space, uh, childhood friends or, uh, three, three of us are actually three of the four. Um, yeah, that was, and that was sort of the point of the band is that, um, uh, Dave and I, um, were, were best friends throughout high school and, and we, we met in elementary, uh, school. Um, and actually funny, the, the funny story is that we didn't like each other at first. And, and I, I, I called him a name at lunch one time in sixth grade and you didn't. I did, <laughs> I did. And it, it, we laughed because we both still remember this. I called him a flat tire. I have no idea. You know, when you're, when you're like <laughs> 10 years old, 11 years old or something for some reason that I thought of that. And that, and even though it doesn't make any sense, it, it, it upset him, which was my goal. And, uh, so, but, uh, (laughs) so, but we, we mended those, uh, the fences there. And, uh, yeah, so we, um, but then we drifted apart like a lot of high school friends do. and, And we didn't, you know, we'd see each other around sometimes, but we didn't talk much for a long time for a good 15 years, probably. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when we sort of reconnected, it was, we, th- we thought, and we never, we never played in a band together. We would listen to music together in high school. We thought, well, let's, we need to do something together and let's do something like what we would have listened to back in high school when, when, when we were doing that which would have been like 79 to 82 or 83. And in the, I think the thing that's interesting about that time frame is uh, there's a lot of, there's no shortage, a shortage of retro rock. People were doing things that sound like uh, all different kinds of stuff from back in the day. And I love all that stuff, but I think that time period is fairly underrepresented. I don't think there was a lot of, a lot of newer bands that are that are sort of in that in that sort of late seventies, early eighties sort of um, vibe. It's either typically more, you know, more early seventies. I think if you're doing the retro thing, yeah. And and I think a lot of that was that sort of whole corporate rock. I'm using air quotes. Corporate rock thing that was sort of given a, a bad name. 
you know, the bands like uh, Foreigner and Sticks and, you know, those kinds of groups that, which I loved and were very hugely influential on me at the time. And I have no problem emulating the, the aspects of that, that, that I really liked. Yeah. Nice. And when I, whenever I listen to a new band, I always start to think, oh, you know, oh, this sounds like this. Oh, this sounds like this. This sounds like this. And and the thing that amazed me about, you know, when I was listening to While You Were Away was tracks two, four, and six are kind of like your, your more like neo-prog type songs. But then, you know, track three, it's like Vivid Colors. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's like, and I'm like, wait a second, this this is reminding me of like the Buggles meets the Tubes meets like it's yeah. it's like, and it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful contrast, and and um it 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 has that flavor of you know these guys that we do the podcast with. I mean, I've known these guys since I was in high school and even before then, and it seems to represent a much greater wealth of, of influence than you know that out to do one type of like progressive music or something like that yeah yeah well, i'm glad you picked up on that that's, that's exactly you know those were all the influences that we had and the three you know instrumentalists in the band who are bringing you know more than musical ideas to the table you know we have a lot of things that we like in common but there's a lot of stuff like dave bizarre we bonded over certain prog albums but he was like heavy into Pat Travers and mm. Ronnie Montrose and, um, you know, those uh, those kinds of things, more guitar-oriented, things that I liked, but it wasn't something that, that I listened to over and over again. And like any band, when you combine those different things that make us, make us different, you combine them together, and you can get some really cool blends of, of styles where you can hear, oh, I hear a little bit of that, I hear a little bit of that, but... But somehow, hopefully, it sounds a fresh recombining of, of things that, that we all liked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that we here at the Palaver tend to do, you know, when we're reviewing albums. We're, we're kind of constantly, I don't know why, but we're constantly on the lookout for, you know, things that this reminds us of. Oh, I heard this and I thought of this album. And and we don't do it in a way that's designed to, you know, imply ripping off or anything. I think we as a group tend to view that as exactly what you're talking about. These are things that influenced me and this sort of, in some cases, it, it naturally sort of manifests itself. So I can't help myself. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about people with, with different... Um, with, with different musical perspectives. And as Paul mentioned, we were growing up and, and I was sort of definitely outside of the, the main distribution of the rest of the guys. Um, and, and so anyway, I've, I've got a slightly different uh, perspective. I've been walking around. I take late night walks. And um, as, as mentioned, I've been listening to the, the EP for, for We Came From Space. And I was struck just the other night as I was strolling down in the dark, listening to that. There were there were some of the piano work that you were doing that made me forcibly think of Tori Amos. Is is, <laughs> is that anything that's in your wheelhouse, or? <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Well, wow. I'm, I'm so I'm so impressed that you got that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, like, like there's a, um, 
and 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 that's that's the thing where you know she was very much a, a 90s influence for me and and you know combining that with stuff from the 70s that i was into uh when i brought that main song in uh to the guys uh, dave bizarre was like oh yeah it's like a tori amos kind of thing yeah yeah this is cool <laughs> and then and then the piano the, the first part of the piano solo section was very deliberate what would tori yeah. do here and this it was very and and that's uh, out of it's out of not because i'm trying to rip her off it but just like i was so inspired by her playing it was like i want to do something like that yeah well yeah. success it uh it's fantastic and it it's fun to sort of have that feel because i mean one of the things that obviously sets tori apart is you know tori is is a universe unto herself and and even in that universe, um, you know her her studio albums and her live performances are you know distinct uh, um, distinct right. interpretations of of the same music. So you know, but to hear that sort of influence in sort of you know this this other um, area was was fantastic for me, and I I, I really responded to it. So thanks. Nice. Oh, good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Her first like probably four albums were hugely influential on me, uh, especially on under the pink, which is probably the most, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Bill, I, I want to, I, I, I want to ask you if you can, you know, you sort of describe the writing process with the Neil Morse band. I'm curious about how it, how it works with, we came from space and I'll, I'm going to kind of bait you here. Um, if you don't mind, but facade and seize the day all uh, seem like they were almost written at the same time, the way you transition from one to the other on the, on the recording. Did that really happen? Or did, did you kind of rewrite the ending to do that? And then just generally, like, how does it work in, we came from space? Because when I listen to seize the day, I, I just get the sense that it's you four guys sitting in the room, shedding a song out, um, and, and coming up with just something that's incredible. So how, how does it all work for you guys? Right. Okay. So the bulk of um, Facade was actually uh, written. I wrote that for uh, the last Neil Morse Band album, hmm. uh, The Great Adventure. And we just never got to it. We just had so much other stuff that we just never never got to working on it or even even evaluating it to see if it fit with what what we were doing with that. So I just kind of had that around. So, um, so when we worked that up, I mean, we did work it up as a, we came from space at the same time that we worked up the, uh, seize the day, but they weren't initially connected. Seize the day. All I had was that mate was the, the intro piano part, that progression. That was all I brought in. Really? Uh, and we, and we just jammed it. We just worked on it and worked on it, you know, and, and, and then we did something, that that I've done a lot uh, with with other musical projects, where we had this middle section that we knew we wanted something really cool, and it's it's gonna, we knew it was going to start out as a piano solo, and then kind of just go somewhere, and then eventually find its way back to to the main part. Yeah. Uh, so when we when we did the basic tracking, so we were on for it. When we were recording, and we were primarily capturing the drums, and if we, sometimes you you get lucky, you can keep uh, 
some of the other tracks, but a lot of times you end up mostly re-recording everything except the drums once you get it back sort of in the home studio. But we we sort of just jammed that whole middle section. And then once I had it back, then I I started just messing with it. And that, so that whole middle section was actually completely reworked um, after the fact. So, and... Um, and 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 continuing up until the fact that I, I had the idea to to connect to connect the two songs that was just sort of I like to connect songs and that yeah. was just sort of like a, oh hey we could put these ones together but then once I, once I have them connected and I don't know you may not have picked up on this yet but near the end of the instrumental section in Seize the Day I'm reprising one of the melodic themes from facade just before we go back into the vocals at the very, very end of that. So that was a late, it was like, well, if we're going to connect these and okay, maybe, maybe I can bring some of that into this, this song. So it's sort of like, awesome. You got some clay, you're just pushing it around and, <laughs> and trying different things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in that middle section, now I can't wait to go back and, and try to pick out the, uh, the, the, the part of facade. Um, the middle section, like when it breaks down to just the bass, and then mm-hmm. you start overlaying that piano progression over that that bass, that was the that was probably the first time listening through where I was just like, wow, okay, hold on a second, mm-hmm. and the whole and time it it flies part just it just really blows me away. Um, it's it's a really really great great piece and then you do that progression at the very end that just is such a great ending to that to that piece um it's, oh, it's, thanks. it's really great and and so the other the question around you know to me that song is extremely uplifting and um you know we talked about early at the beginning like what were you supposed to have been doing at this point in time like were you guys planning to release this ep at the end of april no. how did that all come about no no we were working on a working on a full length album and we just, we had like, we had like five songs close to completion uh, for the full album that we probably would have put out um, late summer. Uh, but we just felt like, you know, we have three, we have these three songs that work well together and, you know, this is our little contribution to make, to the feel good, you know, right. let's, let's That's just awesome. put, let's just close it. Now here's the interesting dilemma that we, we, we put ourselves into. Initially we were going to call it a three-sided single. And, and if we had done that, we could probably in a, with a clear conscience have included those songs on the actual album when it was done. Mm. There you go. But, but now that we called it an EP and I was like, oh, well, okay, so we probably probably shouldn't put those on the album. We should, so that means the album now is going to be a little further out because we have to. You yeah. gotta, you gotta fill that void. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I am of the opinion that you can do whatever the heck you want these days, <laughs> and uh, and I have noticed somewhat painfully that um, you you don't have any actual medium, like physical medium. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, my, my good friends here know that I just acquired, you know, after years of not having anything, a new turntable and uh, a stereo system. So 
So maybe when you put together, uh, you, you know, you get the re the album together, you could include it on and then release release a vinyl, a vinyl edition. Or something. <laughs> well, so you know, I'm open to ideas, but <laughs> but our our current thinking has been our thinking to date has been at the, so far we we do not tour this band we came from space doesn't it's not a touring band we we would like to start performing um at least within our region um uh, but but we're not in a position really to do any kind of serious touring for a number of, of reasons we're an independent band so we don't have label backing and that that challenge has been we're straddling the line between AOR and Prague and a lot of a lot of the the, the like the Prague labels, like I'm good friends with all the, you know, with people from inside out who Neil Morse bands on, but we don't really fit their format, you know? Uh, um, so it's a little too album oriented rock. So, so we're, we haven't found a home yet on a label. So what that means is we're financing any physical thing, physical media, we're financing it and we're not playing shows where we can sell it. Right, and that's and and we've any of us who've been you know probably all of us seems like I know two of you obviously musicians I don't know Joe if you are as well but but if you only in my head some you both both you guys probably Ken Ken and Paul probably have boxes of unsold CDs in your basement from other bands that you've been in. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. And I do too. I have I have boxes of unsold CDs from other bands. And it's just you know and and, and the irony is that of all the markets, the, the musical genres, progressive rock is probably the the genre that the fans most want the physical yeah. They're passionate. They're passionate about collecting the physical, especially the vinyl. And, and it's just, it, vinyl's hugely expensive. And yeah. I just don't, it just doesn't make financial sense at the moment. Yeah. Well, no, no pressure, no worries. Um, <laughs> uh, loving it, uh, streaming right on my, uh, band camp app, uh, for sure. But, you know, just in case you wanted yeah. to do something with well, three songs again, you could, you could, you know, yeah. well, well, for clarification, uh, the initial launch was on Bandcamp uh, because, frankly, that's the best financial proposition uh, of the major music outlets. But we have uh, the EP, like our, our last album, will be available for streaming on Spotify and Apple Music and, and purchase for on I, you know, iTunes and all the normal digital services. It will be there within the next few weeks, but... I don't expect that we'll have anything physical. Fantastic. Look forward to uh, seeing it on all those, uh, those outlets as well. So well, following up on the Tori Amos vibe, I want to attack the deep purple vibe in business as usual. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I want to hear about that organ. And, uh, and then I have a segue to um, a Neil Moore song after that, but, but yeah. let's talk about business as, as usual. Is this your have a cigar? <laughs> Well, uh, from a from a lyrical standpoint, well, it's more about. Although, okay, let me make a disclaimer. Uh, we sort of have this pact uh, amongst uh, the band in the band that that we we 
try to say very little about what the songs are lyrically about because people can interpret things differently than you intended and find meaning in that. And so we, we, we tend not to, to talk too much about, about those things because I, I think sometimes, sometimes it spoils the magic, but it, I think it's pretty clear that business as usual, like a lot of a lot of these songs from that album are fairly cynical and that certainly can be applied. Business as usual can be applied to any number of, you know, politics or media like news media or, you know, really anything, anything that's just, we're just going to make the most sensational thing we can with this disregard to the truth or art or whatever. I subscribe to the philosophy that you let the song be what it wants to be. And some songs just want to be something. And, and sometimes if, Sometimes you can fight it and get lucky and, 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 and make it be something else that's still really cool. But that song just wanted to be a Deep Purple song. <laughs> it's just what it wanted to be, you know. And, it's amazing. Who's doing the lead on that? Uh, the lead vocal? I th- yeah. Um, that would be Dave Hawk, the bass player. Yeah, he does a really nice Ian Gill on there. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. it, it's powerful. So I take it his range is a little lower. Than than yours, um, uh, slightly, slightly, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. But that's that, yeah, that, that's some nice grit there, and and then and then if if I'm gonna go into the rock vein and, and talk about Deep Purple, I also have to go into the 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 Black Sabbath vein. Um, get behind me, Satan. Are you in that video with Neil? I am actually the the, the sort of the live, yeah, the like the live on stage video. Uh, with Ted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's yeah, yeah. the story behind making that video? Was it was it in front of an audience? No, it was actually uh, that was on the last tour. Um, we were. It was in L.A. We needed to do a promotional video for it, and so Ted's in in up more close to the Bay Area. So he he flew down, and we we just set up during sound check, and we just shot the video. Um. And then, and then while we had the video stuff set up, then we shot a video for The Great Despair from um, our last uh, Neil Morse Band album. But that one was split. We started, we also filmed it during the concert as well. Um, and we sort of cobbled together uh, some, bef- some during soundcheck and some live uh, footage, but of course synced to the original album track. That's wonderful. I, and, and I'm not inventing the Black Sabbath reference. I read somewhere that Neil in the studio wanted the vocals to be as in your face with slapback as paranoid, if I remember yeah, yeah. correctly. So, so he, oh, he sure. achieved that goal in spades. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, he, uh, yeah, he was into you know, early, early Black Sabbath. He, that's how he, actually, that's how he discovered uh, Frog, was that he went to see... Black Sabbath and Yes opened up for Black Sabbath, and crazy. And and then he discovered Yes and was like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" You know. <laughs> so. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> and with that to... order, I would be like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And I don't know if I would have the patience for Sabbath after listening to Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think if there were any bands that we saw as opening acts back in the day that became like something mammoth. I know. I know we saw 
the uh, the hysteria tour three times for the opening acts, but we already knew about the opening acts at that point. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to imagine, you know, seeing a band that, you know, that became a yes, and I can't think of one. Well, we did we did see Bon Jovi open up for Rat. Um, we did. That's true. <laughs> that was always a surprise how popular they became. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have a story. I, I can't think of a time where I went to see a band and then the opening act blew me away to the point where they became like a favorite band of mine. I don't know that it, I know that happens a lot, but I don't think that ever happened to me. Paul, I remember one, we saw King's X open for Billy Squire. Yes. Well, we were already total King's X fans at that point in time. <laughs> How could we yeah. not be? <laughs> yes. Bill, Bill, that was my first word association uh, question for you. Uh, reaction to when I say King's X. I discovered King's X much later, although when Faith, Hope, and Love came out, um, the song, the, uh, what was the hit on that? I'm blanking on that. It's Love? It's Love. That song just blew me away, like the harmonies and the, the Beatle-y kind of vibe that yeah. they had going. And, uh, and then actually I, actually, I got pretty well into King's X like about seven or eight years ago. Um, so So I was... You know, really late, very, very late to the party on that. Is there a is there a favorite part of that catalog? Which album has Lost in Germany on? Is that that's King's X, the self-titled album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like that album a lot. Yeah, check it out. Okay, I, another. Here's a choice for you, or just a reaction, uh, coming from Western Pennsylvania: kielbasa, pierogies, or chipped ham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, Pierogies and kielbasa. Uh, yeah. Um, I didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was like a like chip chopped ham. That was the right. thing, the, the weird thing. Um, I grew up. I grew up. I lived in Pittsburgh for twenty years, but I grew up uh, kind of really kind of where I live now, up about seventy miles north of Pittsburgh. So uh, very much outside of that that culture. There you go. But, but Pittsburgh's awesome. I, I I lived there for a long time. I love. I, I've been to a lot of places, and I think Pittsburgh is ama- an amazing place. Yeah, my parents grew up in Pittsburgh. I was born there, but I grew up in in Philly. But the um, you know, whenever my aunt would come and visit, she would always bring, you know, like five pounds of the chipped ham with her. Yeah, and, uh, and so that's all we ate for like the week. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if I like it to be honest with you, but we just ate so much of it. It was ce- it was celebrated, you know what. Yeah. Yeah, barbecued chipped ham sandwiches was a big thing yes. for sure. Yeah, yep. I um, you know, and and we're from Philly, so the the big thing from Philly, at least for um, people of of our parents' generation, was scrapple. And oh yeah, my <laughs> my my father's cousin lived in Southern Illinois, so we would take year annual car trips to visit her, and he would always have a cooler of scrapple in in the car with him to deliver to her much the same way so now that was like in like a like a tube kind of right you'd slice it off Is that, it, am i remembering that it, it i think it came in tubes or loaves i i think okay. um, i i was never much into the scrapple but i do seem to recall either circular or square varieties yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend who would who would slice it up and fry it and then put like syrup on it oh yeah absolutely yeah. All right, before before we rewrite a menu here, um, we, we got we got Dave Buzzard, we got Dave Hawk, 
but Tim Malone. So, so you left one guy out in yeah, the description yeah. of the band members. So, so we came from space actually started with a different rhythm section. It was me and Dave Bizard and a couple other guys that, uh, a little different of a vibe. And that album, a lot of people think uh, While You Were Away was our first album, but it's actually a second. So the first album was, is How to Be Human. And um, it's a bit different, but I think there's some really cool stuff on it. And I, I'm planning to reissue it uh, with, with with a slight uh, track, different track change on it, some different, uh, move some stuff around a little bit. But... Um, they were kind of more local to us where, where Dave and I were from those two guys. So then when, when they both, both of those guys moved away and then, uh, Dave Hawk, who again was more of a childhood friend, but he's local to me. And, and so he, he joined in on bass and vocals and then we were just looking for, uh, we just asked around for drummers in, um, the Pittsburgh area. And we got a good reference on Tim and, uh, of course, we all know the same people. Um, you, know, you know, we're like you know one degree of separation for for us. You know, like we have many many of the same friends, but we, I never knew. You know, we didn't know him, but uh, so hmm. he fit right in. Well, he's according to your website, he his hidden talent is language fluency. He has some kind of English, and <laughs> drum is the second language. <laughs> Oh, uh, we, some of our, yeah, we, <laughs> so go ahead, Paul, what were you saying? Okay. My, my uh, question for you is this Mandalorian or Picard? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I would say, I would say Mandalorian, uh, because, uh, I had a problem with the way Picard ended. I loved it. Thank but, you. The, um, the ending was not satisfying, right? Uh, it was not at all. <laughs> But I loved it, and I still recommend the series. It was uh, it was great up until the last what thirty minutes. Yep, yep. yep. I thought Mandalorian was awesome, and here's here's why. This is really just weird. <laughs> the that story is so refreshingly linear. Uh, yeah, they have a few flashbacks, but there's no subplots. There's no side stories. There's no. It's like. They just tell the story. This is what happened. This happened. This happened. This happened. And I just really, I la- I watch a lot of shows that just have all these crazy, mm. you know, weird subplots and different connections and like, you know, to where you're like, oh, wait, who's that guy? Wait, is that the guy that did the thing? Uh, you know, and it was just, I just loved, I just loved how linear Mandalorian was. So it was just, was a nice refreshing. Thing. Yes. I'm team Mando <laughs> right over here. So, uh, um, Bill, we were connected by uh, Jeff Miller, guitar yeah. looping extraordinaire. So, uh, tell us a little bit about how you know Jeff. And I know Jeff from church okay. uh, back in the, I guess it would have been early 2000s. I probably, I, sometime around late 90s to early 2000s, I was in uh, a worship band. At a, you know, at the time, which was very trendy, contemporary worship bands, where all of a sudden you had rock bands playing in churches, which was kind of a big, big deal at the time in the, in the late nineties. Yeah. And and so, uh, at some point, Jeff passed through that band, and he was there for a while, and that's 
that's how I knew him. And then he, then he moved to Nashville and, or somewhere and I kind of lost track of him for quite a long time. But, uh, yeah. How do you, how do you know Jeff? I just know Jeff through, you know, I found him on YouTube and started commenting on his videos and he started messaging me back and yeah. he came through town and a couple of years later, he, I hosted him at my house for a house concert. Cool. And, uh, yeah. And he mentioned you and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, n- now you have to uh, uh, host. We, we came from space, Paul. I'm, uh, <laughs> we would do it. We would totally do it. Crazy, but I, 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 it, 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 would, it would completely be awesome. If it, you were it would be awesome. And well, we, and, and I, I will, of you. yeah. And I will, I will come up from Texas for that. I'm, I'm a big fan of traveling to uh, the Northeast for seemingly crazy things. So let's make that happen. I would rule that out. I'd be open to that. All right. <laughs> we do want to play. We do want to. We do want to. We just can't really do like we. Do, we can do one-offs. We can do local stuff on a regular basis. We're just not in a position to to get on the road, and so and we do want to. To play, and I think, I think we have something really cool to offer in the, in the live situation. We, uh, I think, I think you would. I think our live versions would be a little. There'd be a lot of opportunity for a little more free form, mm. you know, jazz odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, jazz odyssey i love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I think because we have these we have these crazy jams. Uh, when we're writing that are just really cool. And, and Tim on the drums, he, he is such an incredible listener. Like you, you do some kind of little thing, rhythmic thing or something. And he, he'll catch it immediately and, and, and go with that. And, and, and everybody just really, you know, you get in this zone and you just sort of follow each other around as you're exploring a particular, you know, progression or, or something and and I, i've been really wanting to do that live and i hope we get a chance to do that all right well invitations open yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow this is a really productive interview <laughs> whenever, yeah. whenever you're ready to check on out to you know i'm 50 well, miles to philly as soon as we're all allowed to be in the same room together and that's then... that's right yeah as soon as as soon as that's good <laughs> um we'll, we'll we'll make that work fantastic okay well, uh, and so we encourage all of the uh, the listeners here of the Palaver to go and check out the the uh, the band's website, as uh, as Bill mentioned, and obviously um, check out his work on the Neil Morse Band as well. Very very happy to have you along, Bill. This is this has been very entertaining for us, uh, very enjoyable. We look forward to seeing what you know what the future holds for for both your your main projects at this point. And I'm really hoping that uh, you know in the near future, after the world puts itself back together, that we um, you know several members of the Palaver get a chance to see we came from space live, either you know. Eastern Pennsylvania or Western Pennsylvania. We'll make it work either way. It's it's all good. And as always, we encourage our listeners to reach out to us with your thoughts, comments, questions, and feedback. 
You can reach us on um, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, at some point Pandora, or presumably wherever you do find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.